When Moses led the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt, he learned the power and the love of God. Join me, Pastor Hook, as we learn lessons from the Exodus and God's great rescue. We are in episode 17 of our study, Exodus, God's Great Rescue, and uh, it's a wonderful study. We left off yesterday, last episode, when Moses said to God, um, why is Pharaoh going to listen to me? I don't understand this. Who am I that Pharaoh's going to listen to me? And God says, I am the God Almighty. I'm going to show Pharaoh my strength and power, and he will listen to you. I'm going to harden his heart, all that sort of thing. And Moses says, but I still don't see why he's going to listen to me. So that's kind of where we left it. I think we'll just continue on. Now we're in chapter 7, verses 1 through 7. We'll just read for a little bit and see where it takes us. Then the Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron will be like a prophet. You are to say everything I command you. And your brother Aaron is to tell Pharaoh to let the Israelites go out of his country. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart. And though I will multiply my signs and wonders in Egypt, he will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt, and with my mighty act of judgment, I will bring out my divisions, my people, the Israelites. And the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring the Israelites out of it. Uh, Might as well finish. Moses and Aaron did this as the Lord commanded them. Moses was 80 years old and Aaron was 83 when they spoke to Pharaoh. So um, a couple things here. First of all, uh, God is laying out the plan that uh, Pharaoh will listen to me. And then he says something very curious. He says to Moses, I have made you like God to Pharaoh and your brother Aaron will be like your prophet. So what does this mean? Um, not exactly entirely sure. The, the word God here, you'll notice it is capitalized. It is the name for God in the Semitic language. It's Elohim. So uh, he says to Moses, see, I will make you like Elohim to Pharaoh, which is interesting because Pharaoh in that culture, Pharaoh was God, right? They all bowed down to Pharaoh and called him God. I'm, I'm not entirely sure they had, uh, I mean, nobody knows much about God. The, the description we have of God is 6,000 or 10,000 years of, of Western Semitic-based culture that talks about God and who he is, and, but nobody really has a good definition. For me, God is that which cannot be explained that which is outside of our universe, that which created the earth, that which became flesh and dwelt among us is Jesus, that which guides and directs our lives uh, day-to-day, moment-to-moment, knows everything about us. He's omniscient, he's omnipotent, he's um, all-knowing, all-powerful, all-seeing. He is timeless, he is everywhere, he's omnipresent. All those things are are descriptions of God, attributes of God, but what he is, nobody knows. And so they called him Elohim. And now God says, you're going to be like Elohim to Pharaoh. But what what did the Egyptians believe that Pharaoh was? Well, they believed that Pharaoh was all-powerful, that he could control everything. He was the most, he was, 
on this earth, he was the dictator or the, the most powerful person. And did he have godlike powers? Like when we think of God, we think that he can, you know, change water into wine or he can, he can tell that stone to move over there and that stone moves over there. I mean, the things that God can do, he's all powerful. He can create the universe. I mean, he's those types of things. But for the Egyptians to talk, to look at Pharaoh, he, they, they didn't have the same descriptions. They had the sun god and they had Pharaoh as god, but he was, he was the most powerful person on, in, in the world. Let's put it that way. He was the most powerful person in the world. He was God. And so for, for God to tell Moses that you were going to be like God to Pharaoh, that's, that's a pretty powerful statement. That's saying you are going to have more power than Pharaoh. You're going to be a God over Pharaoh. You're going to be like, you're going to be my representative. You're going to be me over Pharaoh. And, and brother Aaron will be your prophet. Remember, prophets are those who speak oracles of God. They speak the words of God. They know God's heart. They, they know the thoughts of God. They discern what God's will is. Wouldn't you love to have a prophet in your life? Somebody that you could say, um, should I take this job or should I take that job? Or should I, should I move to this city or should I move to this? Should I buy this house? I mean, all the, should I marry this person? All these questions that we have and we want to discern the will of God. Of course, God is blessed with all those things. The most important thing for God is that you worship him daily, that you follow him daily, that you seek out his will for your life daily and that you do what you can daily. You're never going to, I don't know how much God gets into the details of what you should do with your life. The most important thing he wants you to do with your life is to follow him. That's the most important thing. But we always wouldn't, but wouldn't it be great if you had this all wise, all powerful person that's, that if you asked, okay, God, what should I do that he tells you? Now it's interesting in James 1, 6, uh, if you ask God for wisdom, he will give it. So apparently, according to James, if you do ask God, if you if you are in the presence of God and you pray and say, God, give me wisdom, give me guidance in this area, he will, it may not seem like he will, but he will. Um, the, the, most diff, the, the, the most pain you will have in your life is where God lays it on your heart that he wants you to do A and you do B. <laughs> he wants you to go north and you go east or he wants you to 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 do, you know, things in this direction, you go in the opposite direction. And you know that you're not supposed, you know that that's not really what his will is for you in your life, but you don't have the strength or the power or the stamina or the ability to do what it is that he wants you to do. And so you go a different direction. And those things tend to never really go well for me. So <laughs> I'm always trying to discern the will of God. If he lays it on my heart to go in one direction, as I say to people, it's neither wise nor prudent to not follow God when he kind of lays it on your heart what you're supposed to do. That's just the, that's the way we live our life, right? Um, so I've made you like fair, like God to Pharaoh. So, And your brother Aaron will be your prophet. So your brother Aaron will be your prophet. So, so Aaron is now Moses' prophet. He's speaking the words of God. Not only is God hearing from, from Moses hearing from God, but he's going to hear from Aaron also. You are to say everything I command you and your brother Aaron is to tell Pharaoh. So now we know that Aaron is the one that's supposed to talk to Pharaoh. So apparently Moses, even though he has a stammering tongue or whatever it is, uh, doesn't matter. 
he's the presence. He's the one that God has called to lead in this direction. And even though he can't speak, he just finds somebody who speaks for him. And that's his brother Aaron to tell Pharaoh to let the Israelites go out of his country. But then I will harden Pharaoh's heart. Man, I will harden Pharaoh's heart. This, every time I read this, we read it earlier. Uh, but this, this is also uh, Exodus 7.3. This is where, where God specifically says, I will harden Pharaoh's heart. And though I multiply my signs and wonders in Egypt, he will not listen to you. This is a, this is a hard thing for me, and probably most Christians, that God would harden Pharaoh's heart. What God is saying by this is that we're going to do all these plagues. None of them are going to, are going to move Pharaoh to let his people go. And we're going to have to go to the final plague, which is going to move Pharaoh. His heart is still hard, but he's so angry and he's so bitter and he's so disenfranchised from God that he wants the Israelites to go. He's going to plead for them to leave so that the plagues will stop. Um, because who knows what the plagues could have happened afterwards if he didn't. But... But it's God that hardens Pharaoh's heart. And this is, this is tough because basically what God is saying is that we're going to have the plagues. We're going to have the killing of the firstborn. There's going to be death. There's going to be destruction. There's going to be wars and battles. And we're going to have this face-on-face, -face, me and Pharaoh, and I am going to win. And Pharaoh is not going to win. And I know Pharaoh is not going to win because I'm going to harden his heart not to win. This does not make God look good, my friends. That God would create so much pain and suffering in the world does not make him look, oh, I hear the plane again. Um, anyway, um, it does not make God look good at all that he would create this. But there are times where God just simply does not look good when we have uh, famines or floods or hurricanes or tsunamis or earthquakes or th anything in the world that, that God allows or God does just does not make God look good. And so we as humans try to put a different spin on it to say, well, maybe by having a tsunami, those people would have died anyway and it would have been a horrible death or something like that. No, God allowed or caused the tsunami to happen and people died and you there are just times in life where you cannot you cannot help but look at God and say God this does not make you look good <laughs> I'm trying to defend you to say that you're a loving and great and kind and generous God and then you allow these things or cause these things to happen and it just really doesn't make you look good and the answer that God would give you is that's right it doesn't but who are you to tell me what I'm supposed to do. I created the heavens and the earth. I created you. I created everything around you, around you. And I'm going to do what I'm going to do. I'm a sovereign God. And I'm just going to do what I'm going to do. And you will not understand it in this life. Right now you see through a glass dimly. But someday you'll see me face to face. All things will be understood to you. And you will see the marvelous, wonderful plan that I have for humanity and it will be all made clear to you. But right now, it can't be made clear to you because I'm God and you are just this little, tiny, little insect living in my universe. And you simply can't understand. But someday you will. I'm going to harden Pharaoh's heart. 
in uh, Romans 9, uh, Paul talks about the sovereignty of God, and he uses this as just that God's going to do what he's going to do. Uh, Jacob I loved, Esau I hated. When, when God said that, um, that Jacob I loved and Esau I hated, that even in the womb, God favored Jacob and not Esau. And what did Esau have to do about anything? Of course, we try to spin it. You know, God looked in the womb, and he saw Esau, and he realized that Esau was going to be the great hunter, and he wasn't going to be the, the person that Jacob was, and he was going to do all the wrong things because that's who he was. And, and so, therefore, God looked forward and said, well, he was going to do all the bad things, and so, therefore, I hated him. It's like, yeah, but God, you created Esau in the womb. You created Jacob. And you created Esau? How can you love Jacob and how can you hate Esau? That does not make you look good. And the fact is, and in Romans 9, Paul's saying God's just going to do what God's going to do. He's a sovereign God. We don't understand him. We can't comprehend him. We can question him all we want, but he's going to do what he's going to do. And part of living in this world is understanding the sovereignty of God. It's a very uh, Calvin uh Calvin was, was very much into the sovereignty of God, that he was, the, the, that, he, that you just don't question him. Even in, the, in terms of salvation, Calvin would say that God's going to choose who he's going to save and he's going to choose who he's not going to save and those decisions are already made. And if you take extreme Calvinism, it's like it doesn't even matter what you do on this earth because he's going to save some and he's not going to save some others and that's just the way it is. And it's a very, very harsh theology, and it is backed up by Scripture, like in this place here in Exodus 7-3. But it is, it is what the Scripture says, and it is what we bear out in nature, in God's creation, that, that God is simply going to do what he's going to do. He's a sovereign God. So if he's going to do that, then, then the scary thing is, is that some of the stuff that he does just doesn't look like it's very loving. And yet we know that God is a loving God. He's our father. And how do we know that? Well, the main reason we know that is because he became flesh and lived among us and showed us love as, if we, as we've never seen. That's what God does. There are many, many times where people go through lots of death and destruction and they lose jobs, they lose loved ones, they lose friendships, uh, life becomes hard. Um, and they lash out at God and say, God, why would you allow this to happen? I don't understand. Do you hate me? These are all natural things to feel when God is doing the things that he allows to happen. And then People come to theologians, which were all theologians, right? And God and ask, why would God allow this to happen? And there's two types of theologians. There's a theologian of glory and a theologian of the cross. This is what Luther would call theologian of glory and a theologian of cross. A theologian of glory is one that tries to second guess God, to try to put a positive spin on God's actions. God, I lost my spouse and my spouse was young, had plenty of years left. Why did you allow this to happen? So they come up to another Christian. And oftentimes those Christians will say, well, maybe God took your spouse early because later on in life he was going to do something bad and he didn't want that to happen. Or maybe he wanted, you know, all these different things, trying to put a positive spin on God. 
And um, the fact is, is that you deep down, it just doesn't satisfy the soul. Those positive spins just do not ever. I mean, they might in the moment in grieving, when you say those things, it might seem like it's, um, it's like helping. And maybe it does at some level. But, but if you stop and you really, really contemplate and think about it, if God's all-powerful, he could prevent all evil things from ha- happening in this world, but God allows evil to exist, right? And so Luther says when you try to put a spin on it, you're just basically putting a mask on God. You're trying to cover up his ugly face with something else. But when you take the mask off and you look at God face-to-face and see all the things that he's capable of that he allows to happen in this world, Then, and you accept that, then you become what Luther calls a theologian of the cross. And a theologian of the cross is that God suffers with you, that God sent his only begotten son into the world to wipe away all the sin, all the brokenness of the earth, and that he showed us that he truly is love. And the only answer to all the suffering in the world is Jesus that, that Jesus redeems the suffering, that Jesus suffers with us, that Jesus is the personification of God, that God would send his only son to be killed on this earth to show us his immaculate, wonderful, perfect love for us. And that someday we will live with him forever in paradise where suffering will be gone forever. And and those are the promises that Jesus brings. And so the only really true help when evil happens in this world is to say, yes, evil happened, but Jesus can redeem this evil. Jesus can take this evil and make it for good. Jesus can love you and help you through this evil. Uh, he can walk beside you. Those are the, that's, the only, that's the only Christian way that we can really explain all the bad things that happen in the earth. And when you start to live your life that way, when you start to say that all the evil is kind of fulfilled and redeemed by Jesus, it helps you um, deal with evil a whole lot better. And I don't know if people who don't believe that God exists, the reason why they don't believe that God exists is because evil exists. It's like you say that God exists, but there's all this evil. So I don't understand that. And so they just kind of turn their back on God and they, and they say there is no God. And I'm not sure that that is a very satisfactory answer. Once, because I'm not a, a, a non-believer, I'm not a, a non-believer. I mean, I believe in Jesus and I cling to him for strength to get me through the difficult times. And because I know that he exists, because I know that Jesus lived, because he lives in my heart, in my life, he, the Holy Spirit is, is, is in my life, then it, it helps me get through the times of suffering. And I cling to Jesus more in times of suffering. And that works for me. And I don't know how it works for somebody who's a non-believer. Maybe someday I would have the opportunity to talk to him and just really, really find out, you know, when somebody dies, what comforts you? Um, and, and I'm guessing that probably what comforts them is just by ignoring it. Like, okay, the death happened almost like, oh, right? It's, it's like an ape. Um, you'll see an ape with their loved one or their family member. What I don't know if it's because apes don't have love. I don't think like humans have love. But their their companion dies and they stick around for a day or two and then they just go and move on with their life, right? And, um, you know, without God, 
I don't think there's the depth of beauty, the depth of joy. Um, you can plumb the depths of suffering more with Jesus in your life. And if you can, if you can experience that amount of suffering, then on the opposite side, you'll experience that amount of joy. Like it's a continuum. If you, if you're, if you don't believe, if you don't, if you try not to suffer at all, then your joy is only here. But the more you suffer, the more your joy increases. The more you suffer, the more your joy increases until you get to this point where you can experience with God's help deep grief in your life. I mean, really, truly experience the grief with all of your humanity. Allow yourself to experience that. But then you get to, on the flip side, you get to experience all the joy and the love and the passion of life. And um, I, I, I wonder if a person who who doesn't believe or allow God to live with them in their life, if they just have a limited amount of experience of the passion and love of life as opposed to um, to me. Because I, I have experienced incredible suffering, but I've experienced incredible joy. And the, to me, the two go hand in hand. They absolutely go hand in hand. Um, so, yeah, God hardens Pharaoh's heart. And that's a tough, tough thing to listen to. It's a tough thing, but God is God. He's a sovereign God. He does what he wants to do. And we are powerless to stop him. But because he loves us and because he sent his son into the world to redeem us and to refocus our lives on him, we get through suffering, but then we experience incredible joy. Um, so Moses, oh yeah, Moses and Aaron did just as the Lord commanded them. Moses was 80 years old. I mean, here we here we find out that Moses is 80 and Aaron is actually 83. So Moses has an older brother, Aaron. And um, that was interesting. He must have just narrowly escaped this um, Pharaoh that tried to kill all the newborns in Egypt. Uh, Aaron was the last of the generations before that. Um, Moses is 80 years old. I mean, just think about that. My father, when he turned 80... I cannot even imagine him, you know, traveling. What what did we say it was? Um, uh, hundred or two hundred miles, I think it was something like that. Two hundred miles to go from Midian to the land of the Pharaohs. And so, can you walk two hundred miles? I guess you could be on a on an animal, but to do that and then to go into the face of Pharaoh, I mean, just. Uh, but he's older and wiser, and he probably was very imposing, and. Um, but he was 80 years old, 40 years uh, and 40 years. He was 80 years old when he came back. And that that's interesting. All right. So I think we'll leave it there. Um, would you join me in prayer? Gracious God, um, you are you are sovereign. You do what you want to do. And so that's why we cling to your love and cling to your son, Jesus, uh, who helps us live our full lives. In his name we pray. Amen.